Step up to a Nordic Track treadmill with iFit. iFit controls speed, incline, and decline, which means the treadmill automatically mimics the changing terrain on the screen or adjusts the speed to the trainer's cues without you having to touch a thing. Explore Nordic Track treadmills at nordictrack.com. Sleep more, stress less, live better with Calm. Go to calm.com slash AMR. For a limited time, get 40% off your Calm premium subscription with hundreds of hours of programming, unlimited access to Calm's entire library, and new content added every week. Stand on one leg and celebrate. Flamingo makes award-winning razor and body care products that aren't overpriced. Get the Flamingo Shave Set with everything you need for a luxurious, smooth shave at shopflamingo.com slash AMR. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea, and I am here solo because it's a different sort of show. It is going to be a whole bunch of clips, and but there's a theme, a very important theme, because Patriot's Day, a holiday celebrated in Massachusetts. This year, it's April 19th, and alas, heavy sigh, it is the second year in a row that the Boston Marathon will not be run on that Monday on the point-to-point course from Hopkinton East to Boston's Boylston Street to finish in front of the venerable Boston Public Marathon. Oh, goodness. Um, But hey, folks, there's light at the end of the proverbial tunnel. So I'm thinking 2022 going to, you know, come back strong like a 90s trend. Uh, So, uh, yeah, so Boston runs through eight cities and towns on roads thronged by spectators. I I know from what I speak, I've run it twice in 2012 and 2016. And this episode is a tribute to those of you who have either qualified to run Boston or have raised a bunch of funds to, um, you know, for charity, to benefit charities. Um, And all of you who are going to be missing it by not standing out there and lining, you know, Com Ave or Route 16 and be cheering for people because I also know from that experience because I lived in Wellesley outside of Boston for three years and it is just, it is a big, big party and it is sad that it's not going to be happening. So I want to recognize that. So, and if road races are allowed to take place as part of the Massachusetts reopening plan, the 125th Boston Marathon will be held on Monday, October 11 this year. Fingers, toes crossed, everything you can cross, cross them. And in the meantime, the virtual Boston Marathon will be held October 8th through 10th, that weekend prior to the uh, in-person event, if it happens. And then participants will be able to run their 26.2 miles anytime and anywhere during that weekend to earn their finisher's medal. I know a bunch of mother runners who are doing that. Shout out to Pam, Crystal, Aaron, Mary, April, and more. Um, I know they're part of a Bammer team. Um, so anyway, so I went back over our, gosh, more than 450 episodes. And it turns out that we talked about the Boston Marathon and had guests talking about the Boston Marathon a lot of times. In fact, I had to leave out some of the um, anecdotes, like ones from Terja, who ran multiple marathons to nab a qualifying time, which she finally did on her sixth attempt. And she ran the 2016 There was episode 403, where we talked to a woman named Sarah who ran the 2014 Boston Marathon after having open heart surgery. We talked to Sandy, who was, did Boston as part of the World Marathon Majors while dealing with multiple sclerosis. 
Tish, one of my lovely co-hosts, has recounted being a squeaker, just making it in under the qualifying time. I believe that's episode 162. So yeah, so going to go through, I don't know, I didn't even count it up. Maybe it's close to a dozen snippets from back episodes. This first one had to start with it, had to start with the queen of the Boston Marathon, Catherine Switzer. She reflects back and talks about future races in episode 101. But this had to have her talk about the takedown on the course when race director Jock Semple tried to take her from the course. And then Catherine talks about the lingering feelings she had after the event and her determination to finish the race in the moment at age 20. And my co-host is Dimity on this episode. Well, and so I know you've probably told this story a million times, um, and we hope that you can just get walk through it, walk us through it one more time. Was the takedown? I mean, what did it feel like when when Jack Semple really tried to take you from the course? Yeah, the takedown. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't take him down. He didn't take me down, but my boyfriend took him down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what happened. Basically, you know, you start a marathon, you're kind of happy, you're joking with your friends for a while. Um, all you want to do is finish. The pain will come later. But all of a sudden, at about two miles, we were still laughing and joking. The press truck came by us, and they were taking pictures. And uh, Jock Semple was on a, a press vehicle next to the photographer's truck, and he saw, he's the race director, mm-hmm. he saw that... I was in his race wearing bib numbers, and the guys on the bus were teasing him, yeah. saying, oh, Jock, there's a girl in your race. <laughs> and he just, you know, he's an overworked race director. It was a very, very stressful day of terrible weather conditions, trying to get everything organized. And you know what it's like. You, you're up all night for days on end trying to get this thing together. Um, he had a short fuse anyway um, and lost his temper. <laughs> He was. He was an angry guy. He carried a lot of chips on his shoulders. But I I have to, I'll defend him a little bit after this episode. Let Mm -hmm. me tell you the episode first. Um, He jumped off the the truck and went after me and came up behind me very, very quickly. And I didn't see him until the last minute. I actually heard him first. And I turned quickly and all of a sudden he just grabbed me. And he grabbed me by the shoulders and he spun me back and screamed, you know, get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers. And kept clawing at my numbers to try to pull them pull them off of me. And I kept trying to jump away, but he had me by the shirt. And my coach was screaming, leave her alone, leave her alone. She's okay. I've trained her. And he said, you stay out of this. And with that, my boyfriend, um, who was a 235-pound ex-All-American football player, came running full tilt, didn't say a word, and just took him out. Boom. Um, It was a beautiful execution. I'd never seen, you know, um, (laughs) violence up close, and I'd never seen kind of um, that kind of technique because there was a a crowd, and he just took him right out of it. And and then, but we were terrified because he smashed him really hard. And... um, and, I mean, because I thought he'd really hurt him. Mm-hmm. And my coach coach then screamed, run like hell. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was as scared as I was. <laughs> and off, off, off we went yeah, down the road, you know. Um, it, so it was, it, but it was happened in front of the press truck. That's that's the amazing thing. This whole huge flatbed truck that usually leads every marathon. And everybody got pictures of this incident. And by the time we finished the race, those pictures were all over every edition of the Boston papers, at which time there were about seven different editions of the Boston mm-hmm. papers. And then, then the next day, they were all over the world. And um, it, it was it consequently an event that changed my life and an event that changed millions of women's lives because of Jock Semple, for all his um, combativeness, um, still left the world a, a 
photo that is one of the most galvanizing photos of the women's rights movement. And who was ever to predict that that would, would have happened and would be the outcome? You know, um, I, I almost every day I get another call or a request for interview concerning that amazing photo of the girl running, being attacked by official and, and being saved by her burly boyfriend. Wow. Uh, yeah, um, but at the time, you, Jimmy, to answer your question, it was, of course, I was really scared. I was 20. Um, um, I was upset, I, and I was deeply humiliated because it was a race I had trained for. My coach said I would be welcome, and all the men said, hey, it's great to have you here. The men in running have always been wonderful, and the men in that Boston Marathon were fabulous to me and very, very motivational. And I would say things like, I wish my wife would run or my girlfriend would run. Run. Would you tell me, give me some tips to get her started? She's nervous about it. And, um, you know, it's this, it's the same with, with any woman who's just thinking about doing something and she's frightened because she believes all the old myths. And so I was delighted to be there. And then all of a sudden, when the official attacked me, um, it changed everything. Fortunately, and I look back on this now at 67, and I say, you know, I was 20 years old when that happened, and I made the decision to finish the race. And um, I turned to my coach and said, I'm going to finish this race with my hands and my knees if I have to. It was sort of this absolute first moment of clarity, of, of, of an awakening, if you will, of realizing, you know, well, this is what it, what discrimination is all about and you'd never had any you've only had opportunities um and he the press corps everybody you know uh, except for the runners desperately wanted me to drop out to prove that i was a clown that i didn't count that women were weak and fragile and couldn't do it anyway and were always barging into places where they weren't welcome and so I said, I've got to finish the race. So how I did that at 20 and had the presence of mind can only be because, you know, I, I had been running since I was 12 and I had a sense of empowerment that, that by the time I was 20 was very, very, very strong. And I could make a decision like that. So I'm very grateful for that, I must say. Okay, well, this episode... We went so far back in the archives for this one. It's from April 7 of 2012. It doesn't even have a number on it because we didn't start numbering our episodes until episode 100 when Alex finally said, hey, let's number these things. All right. So this, this is one of my favorite episodes. We had a whole plan. It was back when Dimity was my recurring host all the time. And without me knowing it, she totally scrapped what the topic was to get me to talk about Boston. It was before I ran my first Boston and just what a gift that was to be able to sit there and really reflect forward and can one reflect forward, cast forward. How about that? Um, and think about what my goals were, what I was going to wear. Um, kind of funny cause talk a lot about the weather and, Oh, will it be cold? Will it be rainy? No, it ended up being <laughs> nearly 90 degrees and brightly sunny. So anyway, this is me talking about going to Boston, my goal of being present and seeing the famous Sitgo sign. I, I'm going to, I think, write about next week what my goals are and, you know, to be absolutely present during this moment, during the moment as it's happening, as the race unfurls in front of me, I want to be there and ex be experiencing it. And um, I have to say, I feel like I have some practice from it. From Don't you completely remember every head of the Charles you've ever raced? Oh, 
no. No. <laughs> no, I so didn't. I did not want to be in that boat. I mean, <sighs> that's, I did not like the head race. Head races in rowing just, you know, like three miles long. So it's kind of the equivalent of a marathon. It doesn't take that long, obviously, but compared to a sprint race, which is 2,000 meters. So that's done in like, you know, eight minutes. Oh, so, but um, the pain is so excruciating in a sprint race. My goodness, I love the head of the Charles. I just think oh, it is just, oh my goodness. And I just remember so vividly sitting at the start line there, you know, that whole starting area and looking up and seeing the sit-go sign. It's a very... Um, uh, it's a landmark in Boston, and just to me, that really typifies. Okay, I am at the head of the Charles. There, there it is, and you can see it during also the Boston Marathon. So it's really um, kind of a beacon to me in several of my sports. So I think I'm going to get all choked up when I, you know, look at the Sitco you see sign. It. Yeah. This next one comes from episode 158, which is Boston Marathon 2015 recap, and. This one, ladies and gentlemen, is dubbed by many of you your favorite ever episode of Another Mother Runner because of this anecdote. When Bethany, who ran, she had a charity bib and she um, that we helped her get. And so she blogged about her training on anothermotherrunner.com. And so this is Bethany talking about her nervous poops and, yes, say it with me, birthing a tampon. Um, at the beginning of the race, she talks about being truly downhill, about people wearing trash bags on the entire race. And it just really, for me, encapsulates the first few miles of the race because it's the road out there in Hopkinton. You know, it's old timey roads, so it's tight, it's narrow. You are shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow with a mass of humanity. So here's Bethany. Even as we walked to the start line, I'm like, oh my gosh. I took two Imodium, but I still think I have the nervous poops. Uh, so I quickly went into the bathroom one more time. And uh, sorry again, Alex. Like I gave birth to my tampon. I'm like, oh my God, it's not poop. I'm hemorrhaging. I can't have this ruin my race. So that messed me up with my, my tampon. I think that's one of the, uh, perhaps the best line ever on this ever podcast. Had. I know. I apologize. TMI Tuesday. Yeah, I'm like, oh, so this is how it's going to be, God? Like, I, I, I felt like, you know, <laughs> really? This is how it's going to be. It's raining. It's day two. I just given birth to my tampon. To my tampon in the porta potty <laughs> as I'm walking to the Boston Marathon. Please. So I felt like in Caddyshack, you know, when the bishop yells up like rat farts at the sky when the, yes. the thunder and the lightning, and the lightning is coming down. That was me. I stepped out of the porta pot porta potty and I'm like, rat farts. So um and I had taken an a leave. Like I mean I just I, I so so I was just crossing my fingers. Wait, that, wait, wait. I have to ask, did you have a backup tampon? Like, no, that was my backup tampon. Oh, yes. shoot. So I'm like, great. Now I'm going to have to ask a random girl at Wellesley, like, I'll give you a kiss if you give me a tampon. You know, <laughs> like, we just prayed. Um, so uh, so I didn't have a backup. That was my backup. So so it was part of the reason why when I got to the start, I, I put my music in because I was a little stressed. Like, mm. all right, yeah, it's raining. That kind of stinks, whatever. Um, I wish it could have held off. But but. I was a little bit worried about my, my, uh, my womanly issues. Um, but the good yeah. news is that you had black bottoms on and it was raining, right? So right. it's not, so that's the best case scenario. If you're not right. going to, if you're going to not have, uh, yes. you know, a Protection. plug in yeah. oh, back. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, um, that, and it starts, it's definitely downhill. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Yes. And 
people just went flying by me and they were, and I, I had on a, I had on a throwaway shirt and pants. And then I put a giant contractor's bag on top of me. So it was all the way down to my feet. And so when, when we were lined up in the corral, I took it off and handed it to somebody so they could pass it over and onto the other side of the gate everybody around me still had their trash bags on. I was like, people, are you going to lose the bags or what? Like, we're going to run a marathon here. <laughs> people wore, a lot of people had like their gray, rocky sweatpants on, their throwaway sweatpants they ran the whole marathon in. Oh my they goodness. They had trash bag, yeah, trash bags on the entire race. Oh, um, I'm sweating so, could, just hearing about it. Yeah, and you could hear them like, so that was, that was, that was funny, but um, so lost the trash bag, tossed my throwaway clothes, put my music in and just, um, crossed my fingers that I wasn't going to have any issues with, with my, with my uterus and, um, tried to be very, very slow. So uh, at one point I looked at my watch and I was like at a nine, 10 pace and I'm like, no, 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 no. Got to start conservative. <laughs> yes, exactly. Stock conservative. Go for a 1030. So I brought myself back to like a 1030 pace. And it well, I will say it wasn't too, too hard because there were so many people there. It reminded me of uh, the Broad Street that we Broad, Broad Street run that we have here in Philadelphia is a 10 miler. And it's so crowded that you're hitting other people's elbows and feet almost the entire 10 miles. Um, and it felt like that for the first 10 miles. It was that tight. It's also because it's very narrow. Very narrow, Mm -hmm. very narrow. But there were fans, there were spectators cheering us on the entire way, which I thought was amazing. This next episode aired on April 20th, 2013. If that year sounds um, important to you in relation to the Boston Marathon, unfortunately it is. It was the bombings that took place there near the finish line. And we don't want to dwell on that too much, but the next two episodes do deal with that. This is the Boston Marathon tragedy through the eyes of two mother runners, that episode is. And this is Melissa, who is a runner out here from Oregon, talking about, the again, the early part of the race, about the crowd support. And gosh, she was fresh off it. She had just gotten back. And um, as Melissa talks about, she was used to doing small races and just talking about that feeling. And my favorite line is how we felt like one organism. There was no split between spectators and runners. It's just so awesome. So take a listen to Melissa. Um, you and I talked briefly yesterday, and I wanted you to um, talk about how you felt about the the crowd. And, and because um, last year when I ran my only Boston, um, I just felt like the the support of the fans or the you know the people lining the street the spectators was just so incredible like there you know I've run New York and I just felt like there was no comparison whatsoever that the people in Boston are so engaged and behind you and just the generosity of spirit that flowed out of them was just a beautiful thing and so um could you talk a little bit about how you you know about what you're saying to your friend at the beginning and and that sort of stuff Sure. My girlfriend ran her first Boston last year. So I've been just, you know, digging deep for her to tell me every little bit of what I would experience when I got out on that course and what that was going to be like. And, um, when we took off in Hopkinton, um, you know, the 
just the mass of a number of people and we started running and I asked her, I said, when does this ball break up? You know, (laughs) I've only run small marathons. And so I was expecting at some point, you know, the field would really widen out and I'd have like, you know, all this space around me (laughs) and you're just looking down the hill because, you know, you're, you're coming down and through Hopkinton and you just see heads, just massive heads and people on the sides. And they, and she just looked at me and she was, it doesn't, Melissa. This will never break up. This is what it is as you come in. Look at and look it, at the bumpkin from Oregon thinking that. When does when does this race crowd thin out a little so I can? Get... Yeah, I just want to thin out. It'll be me and maybe two other runners, you know, and then we'll see people every other mile. And um, you know, that was my naivete that somehow I thought that would happen. And but the the thing that really started to catch on after a couple miles of, of what I was in. Is how I felt like we were one organism. Um, there didn't seem to be a split between spectators and runners that I felt that somehow we were all moving together towards the finish line. Um, they were helping move us. Um, 26.2 miles, it felt to me at that point, wasn't possible without them. And as I, g- I got closer and closer, I felt even more connected to the people who were driving us on from the little kid with the grubby hands holding out the orange slices <laughs> to the uh, volunteer yelling, wada hiya, you know, and <laughs> you just you start to realize that all of these people are part of the race. And, and you know, I think that's what hurt even more at the end because you think about spectators and we all, you know, I'll say nobody gets here on their own. And whether it's your children who have to endure your crazy weekends with running like my kids do, or um, your boyfriend who is responsible for watching said kids so you can go out and throw 50 miles out in a week, you, you don't get there by yourself. And then once you're there, they are part of the race. They are the race. And without them, we don't. It's just another long run. And I think that was the most amazing aha that I had. And and I will tell you that as I got closer and I started physically feeling worse, that's what made me decide I wanted to come back. That's, Mm. That's why I cared. And it was the people out there that made me care. And, you know, now I can say I have my qualifier for 2014 and I've never wanted to come back and run a race as badly as I do um, next year. And I have friends who are actually saying, oh, yeah, I've not trained hard and I am going to train. I have I speculate that next year we're going to see a completely different field of runners that are going to get competitive you know, times 10 to try to be here because they want to let Boston know. They want to let the volunteers and the spectators and the people who lost their lives and were injured by this know that not for in vain and we won't be afraid of that. And we are going to celebrate next year and it's going to be a great race. Okay, this is one of our celebrity episodes. This is number 265, a chat with Peter Sagal of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And Peter has is a very accomplished marathon runner. He's run Boston numerous times. And in 2013, he and another gentleman were leading a blind runner in the race. And this is Peter's description of being about 100 yards away from the bomb blast at that finish line of the 2013 Boston Marathon and the pocket of innocence he was in. And again, my co-host is Dimity on this episode. 
So you've alluded now a couple times to the 2013 and how you were just, a, a, sounds like about 100 yards maybe ahead of where the blasts happened. Yeah, we uh, just crossed the finish line, and because we had a pretty tough day, we weren't moving very quickly. Mm-hmm. So even though it was four minutes later, we hadn't moved very far. So my best guess, and I've gone back to the spot and stood there and tried to estimate it, is that we were 100 yards uh, away from the bombing, beyond mm-hmm. the finish line. Mm-hmm. So I know you, you speak about it in front of groups. Um, um, you know, and I realize that takes a little bit longer than a couple minutes, but could you kind of just give us a shortened version of what that was like? Well, yeah. I mean, what's really weird about it is that we, by myself, I mean, by we, I mean myself, William Greer, the guy I was guiding, and everybody else around us actually knew less about what had just happened than anybody else on the planet. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean, we didn't have our phones. We had just run a marathon. We didn't run with our phones. They were making no announcements mm. at the site of what had happened. And even though we were very close to it, we couldn't really see it because, uh, it, I mean, I don't know if you've been to the Boston Marathon finish line, but any major marathon finishing line will conjure the image. The finishing line itself is a big superstructure, and it's surrounded by steel and, and trellises and, and scaffolding and signage and, and you know camera platforms. And so all of that stuff was between us and the bomb site. Mm-hmm. We didn't see it, although we obviously could hear it. It was quite close. We had no other way of getting information, and we were told to move away as quickly as possible. So, you know, whatever instinct I might have had to go see what the hell that was, because I had never experienced anything like that before, was sort of overwhelmed by my responsibility to take care of this blind guy who I just ran a marathon with. So for the next 10, 15 minutes, while the world looked on with horror at the first images, um, we were just, you know, doing what you do after a marathon, which is like picking up bananas and getting a medal around our heads and, and hmm. stuff like that. It was sort of this bizarre little pocket of innocence hmm. while the rest of the world was going, oh my God, this is horrible. Hmm. It wasn't until we got out of the chute and we saw the chaos sort of around us that we realized something really terrible about Mm-hmm. Did it seem particularly frightening because you're with someone who couldn't see, who no matter what well, their vantage I mean, point was? Again, I, one of the one of the things I'm very very careful to do whenever I talk about this is is ever imply that in any way I had a problem that matched or even approached the problems being experienced by a whole lot of other people that day in that mm-hmm. place. So, mm-hmm. for example, yeah, I had a blind guy and I had to get him out of the chute to his to our meeting place so we could meet his wife and get his stuff back. That's nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, put aside the, the actual victims, the people who were dealing with, with life-threatening injuries not 100 yards away. There were about, among the, I don't know how many people, probably more than 1,000 runners who weren't allowed to finish the race. Remember, mm-hmm. they blocked yeah, it off yeah. about a mile short of the finish line, told everybody they had to stop and get off the course. Among those people were about 20 or more blind runners mm-hmm. who were with Team of the Vision. Mm-hmm. They were out there. They didn't have phones. We had no idea, or rather, the Josh Warren, the organizer, had no idea where they were, mm. uh, and their guides had no idea where to go. Mm. Uh, the only meeting place that we had was right off the finish line. That whole area was being cut off. So presumably, you know. So there. Uh, suffice to say, we had it easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of the reasons, of course, we had it easy was because, and I've written about this with great admiration. William Greer, even though he was having a really hard day in the course, having to stop a lot, having a lot of cramps, uh, muscular and otherwise, 
he really gutted out the last mile at mm -hmm. my urging because I was like, man, you can't walk through the last mile of the Boston Marathon. You got to run that. It's, you know, it's mm -hmm. the amateur Olympics. You can't walk down below the street. Mm -hmm. So we did it. He really gutted it out. And by virtue of the fact that he ran that, giving wow. his, you know, last measure of devotion, uh, we were safely beyond the bombing site when it went off. Wow. If he hadn't run, if he had walked like he really wanted to do, who knows where it would have been. We would have been among the many runners a cut off on the course, or maybe we would have been a lot closer to the bombing, and it would have had a much, much, much more uh, visceral mm -hmm. and visual experience of that whole incident than I ended up having. So I owe a lot to his courage. Even though he didn't know that he was saving us, he kind of did. Wow. Wow. This next clip comes from an episode that I was seriously pitting out before recording. It's episode number 368, and it is a chat with Meb Kofleski, father runner and marathon marvel. And Oh, I was so nervous. I was trying to talk myself down. I'm like, Meb's just a guy, just a guy. Oh, so um, I, I talked myself off the ceiling and got him to talk about the um, final bit of the 2014 when he won it, when he came back and to have an American win that race the year after those bombings and just gives me chills to think about um, just as he says, it was a thrill of a lifetime. And watching it was one of the thrills of my lifetime. And uh, I'm sure it was for my co-host, Amanda Loudon. Here is Meb. So so let's stick with the Boston Marathon in 2014 and marathon number 19 that you detail in your book. As you're heading down Boylston Street to the finish line to be the first American to win that race in more than 30 years and just one year after the bombings, I got to ask, could you hear all of us standing and cheering go Meb go at our computer screens, like urging you on? <laughs> I mean, I just remember I was I mean, you know, it's like when when my husband yells at the Kansas City Chiefs on TV, I'm like, they can't hear me, honey. I'm like, Meb can hear me. I know he can. <laughs> I did. And I kept picking it up. <laughs> yeah, now that was a magical moment. I know to think back of that day you know there was a greater purpose than myself uh, for the city of boston for the running community community internationally and nationally you know we all have you know i, I title it so we all have our day when everything clicks if you recognize when it's happening you can produce something that's bigger than yourself and for me i remember at miles five the kenyans the Ethiopians were trying to slow it down i said you know i came with three goals in mind to win top three or run a personal best and if i'm going to do that i need to push as hard as they can and they let me go. They kind of made, I think they made a mistake. I'm, I'm telling them, I can't believe they're making the, this is the biggest mistake they're making in their life. You know, they don't, they know that I want to go. They don't know I have a silver medal. I can't believe them. But I said, as I kept pushing and pushing, I said, well, if they're going to catch me, I'm going to make them earn it. <laughs> I just kept pushing and pushing. And not that Boston is point to point course, not that I know how far I was ahead, but I kept pushing. And, you know, that about mile, 15 or 60 mile 16 at the Boston Marathon before we make the right hand turn. That 520 mile that I, my God given town that I talked about earlier was 431 and 10 miles to go. But when the weight of the nation's on your back and you, you, people are chanting USA, USA, people are doing waves, you get emotional, you start, start chanting, you fisting my bump, I'm like, USA, USA. I'm like, concentrate on the race, concentrate on the race, you know. <laughs> But then you see people just doing the waves about Boston College and just people know they feel USA, USA. And it was a thrill of a lifetime, but you think you get emotional, but at the same time, you're like, oh my goodness, I, I, I got to hold on to this. I got to hold on to this. And it got close and close, but you know, people tell me where they were every day, how they cheer for me, whether it was at the 
computers or they were at the stands or they were uh, a mile five or mile 10 when I was racing the herd that I won. And it was just amazing. And I felt blessed that God gave me the glory to be able to carry the victim's name on my bib. Uh, technically, you're not supposed to do that, but it went viral once I wrote the four victim's name. And I draw the inspiration for them. Every time I look down on my thighs or looking down, I think you're doing it for them, you're doing it for them. Just keep pushing and you put your body through a lot. But the sound coming to, you know, common Commonwealth or uh, Hereford or Boston Street is just a dream come true to be able to chant USA, USA. It's not over till, till the tape touches your chest, but, you know, you're hopeful. And obviously, I, those tape could not come fast enough, but in the last <laughs> 200 meter, I'm like, I'm loving this one. Keep going, keep going. But I was just thankful looking to the heavens and say, God, thank you for giving me this opportunity and for allowing me to be the first one across the finish line. It was my dream to win the Boston Marathon, to do it on that day on April 21st, 2014, mm-hmm. after the year after bombing. Uh, you have to pinch me how it all came together for me. Remember in the before times how you'd have to sign up to get time on a treadmill at the gym? Well, welcome to my home gym world. Yup, our Nordic Track Commercial 2950 treadmill is so popular with my family members and Molly's oldest daughter, I've instigated a sign-up sheet. And it's no wonder this baby is popular. With a massive touchscreen, iFit transports you to an energetic studio workout class or breathtaking locations filmed in more than 40 countries across all seven continents. Amazingly motivated trainers lead you in series that take you from, say, your current three miles a session up to completing a 10K distance over the course of 30 or 40 workouts. My younger daughter is currently seeing the sights of Vietnam while training for her first 5K. Not up for running? iFit offers more than 60 types of workouts from yoga to Tabata with new sessions added daily. The screen pivots so you can get off the treadmill and easily see what you need to do during the various workouts. Like my daughter, I love traveling, in this case virtually, to far-flung locations on our Nordic Track treadmill with iFit. It's really pretty mind-blowing how lush and close enough to touch everything looks on the treadmill screen, whether the sienna-colored hoodoos of Bryce National Park or heather-covered Scottish Highlands. The sights and sounds, namely trainers sharing history and nature details of locations, make the miles pass in a delightful blur. To see all Nordic Track has to offer, from treadmills to bikes, ellipticals, and rowers, all with iFit technology, head to nordictrack.com. That's N-O-R-D-I-C-T-R-A-C-K.com. See where you can go with Nordic Track with iFit. Springtime means brighter days are ahead, yet you may feel like your mental health is still stuck in winter. If your mood is gray or you need a mental reset, it's the ideal time to give Calm a try. More than 100 million people around the world use Calm to improve their mental well-being. All this year, we're partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app, to give you tools to improve the way you feel. One of the beauties of Calm is how many options the app offers. Clear your head with guided daily meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, and drift off to dreamland with Calm's imaginative, high-quality sleep stories. As you might know from listening to this podcast, I'm devoted to doing the daily Calm. I'm not a self-help kind of gal, but the ease of use and the just woo-woo enough vibe really appeals to me. Back in 2019, a few months after I started doing the Daily Calm, my older daughter told me how much calmer and less stressed I seem. She noticed I didn't lose my temper as much. I could feel the changes in my mindset thanks to taking 10 minutes a day each morning for guided meditation, yet to have one of my kids notice that change and comment on it? Well, I was so dang pleased. Real noticeable change. 
For listeners of the show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash AMR. That's 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library and new content is added every week. Get started today at calm.com slash AMR. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash AMR. Self-care is one of the poles of this whole AMR tent. It's the quintessential me time we all need. Like I said, for me, it's a daily 10-minute guided meditation, plus some foam rolling. Yet after a while, some parts of your daily routine can start to feel ho-hum, like shaving. Turn shaving from chore to ritual with Flamingo. Flamingo crafts razors that are both pretty and pleasing to use. The weighted handle sits comfortably in your hand, and the head pivots beautifully around ankles and knees. It's not surprising. Flamingo was started by a group of women at Harry's, the men's shaving brand, who wanted to create a better experience for women, too. The brand's been around for more than seven years, perfecting and adding products for those daily self-care rituals that help you look and feel your best, at affordable prices like $2 per blade. And with Flamingo's 30-day money-back guarantee, you can try it out risk-free. Since trying Flamingo products, I've been hooked. The razor is just far superior, and it gives me a close, comfortable shave. I've definitely become more dedicated to shaving my legs since discovering Flamingo, because it seems more like a luxury than a chore. Get the Flamingo Shave Set with everything you need for a luxurious, smooth shave at shopflamingo.com AMR. It includes Flamingo's award-winning razor and also award-winning shave gel and body lotion, all for just $16 plus free shipping. That's one less trip to the drugstore. Get yours today at shopflamingo.com AMR. That's Wow, this is a special episode to me that I honestly had forgot a little bit about. And so going back and listening to pull out these clips, oh, I got all teary-eyed listening to it. It is episode 208, 2016 Boston Marathon Report and Training with a Friend. My co-host is my dear BRF Molly. And the guest was my coach, Brianna Bamer. And as you'll hear, it was the first time that I talked to Brie after running the marathon. And... um to, as a reminder, I had fractured my ankle, my right ankle quite seriously, 50 weeks, five zero weeks before running the 2016 Boston Marathon. And it was my goal to get back there. I'd worked hard to qualify and, and by hook or by crook and some metal pins and plates, I was going to get there and run. And so it was again, a hot day, had some wind. And so this is Bree talking about what she saw in my data from the race. And um, yeah, uh, I think I probably shed a couple tears while she was talking. Take a listen. Welcome back to the podcast, dear Brie. Um, I have to admit, um, I might get a bit verklempt as you and I have not actually spoken since I crossed the Boston finish line. And um, you've seen my GPS data from race day. So um, I want to hear what your thoughts are about my race and, and people listening will hear this along with me for the first time. So so, so late on the line, what do you think? Actually, I was thinking about that. I'm like, this is kind of cool that we get to talk about it in this way. Um, you know, first and foremost, I just, uh, I'm so proud of you and I just know what you've been through. So myself, I'm also just emotional thinking about you out there. Um, you know, when I opened up your file, I just, true to Sarah fashion, you followed that plan to a T and I just, I thank you for trusting the plan so you could get, you know, to have such a, a great experience out there, which I know you did. Um, 
if if there's consistency like you are your misconsistency your file is perfect if you were to look at it with me right now, there's just this beautiful straight line of your pacing and how you executed everything based off of how we talked, which, you know, you and I talked about how we couldn't, we couldn't use pace as a guide that, you know, a lot, a lot of people like to use different methods of data to, um, kind of gauge how they're doing and pace is one heart rate's another and effort is yet another and effort's a great correlation actually to heart rate. And we talked about keeping your effort at this like RP four or five max on the Hills. And you did that to a T to the point that you're, and we've talked about normalized graded pace that your normalized graded pace was 20 seconds faster than your actual pace, which meant you ran those Hills like a champ. I mean, unbelievable. Oh. And it's just so cool to look at it because it's like you did everything like I asked you to. You held back on the net down you know, at the start, and you, you just kept that effort so consistent. So the effort, you can just tell, is always so consistent. And you got to the hills, and you nailed the hills. And, oh. it's, and then you finished. Goodness gracious, like you just, you know, when, when I look at the file, all of a sudden there's this massive spike in the last 800 meters. <laughs> Where Sarah's like, I can just see it now, her like sprinting, like, I'm, you know, like I'm finishing the Boston Marathon. Because um, it's pretty funny because you have this nice even keel, both both speed, effort, and your even your cadence. Your cadence was so consistent. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, you get to the finish and there's this massive spike, which I just think is awesome. But... <laughs> I had a little left in the tank, maybe. Oh, oh just a little. It was like, you know, like a twofold difference. And it's <laughs> <laughs> so funny because some of the pictures, I'm like, really? Really? I sometimes honestly did not have my feet on the ground. I mean, every picture I looked so flat footed. I was so upset. And I just was like, oh, really? I. It just, the, the, every picture, I'm like, there I am plodding along again. Da dunk, da dunk, da dunk. But you weren't. You weren't. <laughs> oh. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because, you know, my time, it was slower than I thought maybe I was possible of running. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you, you kept your effort. I mean, everyone's time this year was very slow. You know, I mean, it was a tough year. So if you look from the best, you know, the pros all the way down. Um, and I know lots of people who ran that, you know, they don't coach, they're just friends and their times were significantly slower. And I think that's, you know, Boston in particular, you know, when you qualify for Boston, it's about hitting a time and it's so important to hit this time. But once you're at Boston, you have to respect the course, you know, and Boston is not always a fast course. We know that looking year after year, some years are, are fast and some years aren't. And, um, this clearly was not a fast year. I mean, the weather, both heat and wind proved to be a challenge and you have to respect the course. And you did such a good job doing that, you know, and sticking to your effort that gosh, again, when you got to the Hills, you were running those Hills so well. And, and that's what you want, right? When you're out there is to feel strong throughout the entire day and you know, hopefully you'll say the same, but it looks like you felt strong throughout the entire day with how you raced it. So I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm really proud because I, I, you know, I, I think sometimes when you're in the later stage of a race that you can think, oh, I'm really pushing it. I'm really pushing it. And it's like, no, it's just, I'm really tired. So it feels like I'm pushing it. Right. And so to, to, and you know, I've told that, you know, people are like, oh, how was your time? How do you feel you did? And I was like, well, you know, I was slower than I wanted to be, but I feel I really pushed on the hills and I really had a strong finish. And I mean, so to hear you say that I did that, it's just incredibly rewarding. Thank you. Yeah, it's funny to me because we hadn't talked yet and that's exactly what I'm looking at. You know, I'm looking at you running your hills even stronger than you ran the earlier miles and finishing really strong, um, just from the pace perspective, you know? And so again, like your normalized graded pace, meaning take out all the hills. What was your pace was 20 seconds faster than your actual pace, meaning you just, you nailed the hills, you nailed them, which is just cool to see. 
This clip comes from an in-person conversation with Boston Marathon race director Dave McGilvery. It is episode 388, which we recorded at the 2019 AMR retreat in Cape Cod. Dave has a fabulous Boston accent. Um, And like I said, he was in person, so you can hear some crowd audience noises there. And it's Dave talking about what he thinks Boston Marathon captures in the imagination of so many runners. And he talks about running the Boston Marathon for the first time at age 17. He, spoiler, he had to be taken to the Newton Wellesley Hospital during the race, but he talks about how he comes back stronger the next year to honor his grandfather. And once again, Dimity is my co-host on this episode. Here is Dave. Okay, well, so what we really uh, also want to hear about, and we um, want to spend a little time on this, is of course the Boston Marathon. And um, why do you think it captures the imagination and dreams of so many runners? Well, I just tell you. Oh, wait, hold hold up the microphone. I just tell you my first experience Please. with it. So, <laughs> I was 17 years old, and I heard about it on the radio, and I said I want to do this. So I called my grandfather up, who was a supporter of my athleticism, and I said, Grandpa, I'm going to go run that race in Boston. So he says, Oh, great! They call that the Boston Marathon. I said, <laughs> Oh, well, that's a good name for it. <laughs> Well, I'm going to go do it. He says, great, I'll meet you at Coolidge Corner. I said, great, where's that? He said, 24 miles. I said, okay, Grandpa. He lived right near there. He just walked across the street. I said, fine. My brother drove me out to the start, and I took off, and I didn't earn the right to do this. And I got to the hills in Newton, and down I go, flat out in the hills in Newton. I got taken to the Newton Wellesley Hospital in an ambulance. Wow. I got to the hospital, and I called my parents. I said, can you come pick me up? And they said, where are you? I said, I'm in the Newton Wellesley Hospital. They said, what are you doing there? I said, never mind. <laughs> come pick me up. They picked me up. Did they even w- know you were running the marathon? They didn't know. <laughs> I didn't tell anyone but my grandfather. So I got home, and I called my grandfather. No answer. I called him again. No answer. Call him again. No answer. Nine o'clock at night, he answers the phone. I said, Grandpa, where have you been? Dave, where have you been? The old man, I've been waiting for you all night. The old man goes by, Kelly, the street sweepers go by. No, Dave. I said, yeah, yeah. I, I failed. He said, you what? I said, I quit. He said, nah, you didn't quit. I said, no, what did I do? He said, you learned. I said, oh, nice. What did I learn? He said, you learned you cannot go along in life and set reckless goals. Yeah, you can set goals, but they can't be reckless. I said, you're right. You've got to earn the right to do that. I said, fine. He said, I'll cut another deal with you. I said, what's that? He says, you train. Now, there's a novelty. You, know? <laughs> you train for it, and I'll be there waiting for you next year. Promise. I said, great. Two months later, my grandfather died. So oh. I said, i got to do this for grandpa. i got to do it. Blah, blah, blah. 18 years old, I was running 120, 130 miles a week. I was, re- I was fit. I was ready to go. All of a sudden, the day before the Boston Marathon, I got sick. And my parents said, you can't run. I said, I have to run. The newspapers are saying, Dave, running in memory of your grandfather. I, I have to run. They said, you can't. You're too sick. I said, can you give me something that very few other people have ever given me before? And they said, what's that? I said, a chance. Can you just give me a chance? Because that's all I ever wanted in life. It's just a chance. That's it. There's no such thing as failure if you try. If you don't try, that's the only way you fail in life. So they said, okay. And they let me start. So I take off. I get to five miles. Ugh, I was done. Toast. I said, I got to keep going. I keep going. And finally, I got to the halfway point, And there's my parents standing inside the road. And there's my mother. And what's she doing? She's crying. Mm-hmm. Why? Because that's what mothers do. <laughs> they cry. Why? Because they're worried about you. 
they're going through more pain than you'll ever go through. Amen you know? to that. Amen to that. Amen to that. I got five kids. I know what that's about. You're only as happy as the, 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 the least happy kid in, in the lot, right? So, so my mother's crying, and there's my dad. What's he doing? He's taking pictures <laughs> of my mother crying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Cry over here. I keep going. I keep going. I get to the point where I dropped out the year before, and I'm doing a survivor shuffle over the hills, and finally I got to 21.5 miles, and down I go again. Down I go again. I said, oh my, put my head in my hands and I said, I can't believe it. I said, I'm the last pick. I'm the last one cut. I drop out of my first Boston. I drop out of my second Boston. Can you say like loser? Because that's what's going on in my mind. Like I'm a loser. And all of a sudden another defining moment happened. I'm sitting on the curb, 21.5 miles on the Boston Marathon course. And I look behind me and right behind me was my grandfather's tombstone. And he's buried in the Evergreen Cemetery, in the Evergreen Cemeteries on the marathon course. I didn't know it. And that son of a gun said he'd be there. Now, he wasn't there physically, but he's there spiritually. He's still there, by the way. <laughs> Every year I run by, I say hi to Grandpa. And since he kept his end of the deal, I said, I'm going to keep my end of the deal. And I picked myself up, and I crossed the finish line in four and a half hours. And I said to myself, on that day in 1973, I'm going to run this race every year for the rest of my life in honor and tribute of the lesson my grandfather taught me about earning the right to do it. And that's why I've run it every single year for the last 47 years. Episode 360, three first-time Boston Marathon runners, gives us this clip. It is Christy Brown, who is a mother runner, and she's talking about walking around Boston Expo weekend because I want to include this clip because, you know, certainly, yes, the, the highlight of Boston Marathon weekend is running the Boston Marathon, but also there's such energy in the city of Boston. It just, it's a small enough city that it just, the entire place seems to rally around you and hug you and welcome you. And it's the same thing for being in the expo, which is a, a huge convention center downtown. And so this is Christy talking about walking around the Boston expo um, and the energy and the vitality of that weekend in the city. So I wanted to bring you a taste of that because um, runners will be missing it this weekend. So I had talked to her, and she's like, honestly, Boston's a little bit overrated. So, oh, boy. Right? I had that in my head. And I thought, okay, manage your expectations. But then I got there, and I thought, no, like this is everything I dreamed it would be. You know, you see thousands of runners walking around in their marathon in their celebration jackets. And there's signs everywhere. I don't, it's just so exciting. Like I, I randomly, you'll you'll hear over and over. I am a crier. I would randomly burst into tears, and my husband's like, "Oh my gosh, here she goes." <laughs> <laughs> but I just loved it, you know. And I, yeah, I like yeah. walked under the finish line a couple times on Friday and Saturday. I was like, I just want to be here and soak it in, and I can't believe I'm going to be crossing this line. Mm -hmm. So it was amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I lived outside of Boston for, I lived in Boston for a year and outside of it for three, worked right um, behind Copley Place. So I was, you know, right in the thick of things. And I just think it's gotten so much bigger over the past few decades. I was in the mid nineties that I worked there and it didn't, I mean, it certainly on, on Patriots Day on Marathon Monday, it, it took over the city for sure, but it didn't have that um, vitality that you talk about in that, that, buzz I just it's kind of yeah. amazing to me and yeah. everybody yeah. you know like we would get in the uber and the uber driver would be like are you running on Monday 
you know, yeah, yeah. like everybody knows that it's you're here for that. And it just was mm-hmm. so exciting. Okay. We have episode 307 Boston Marathon 2018. You see, since this, it seems every year we do a Boston Marathon episode. And so this is it for 2021, folks. Who knows? Maybe I'll do one for the virtual race. Um, This is multi-time Boston runner Suzanne giving insight into volunteering at the event after she had run it several times. And my co-host on this episode is Tish Hamilton, who has run Boston at least 13 times. So she knows a thing or two about it. So I volunteer at the information table um, at the expo, and I got an email today earlier saying that about 19,000 of the runners this year will run Boston for the first time. So this will be completely new to them. And so being from the city, uh, I've been doing this for about three years. Um, it's it's nice to sort of pass on my knowledge about best restaurants to go to, mm-hmm. how to navigate the tea, um, you know, how, where's the family meeting area. So we answer questions. I'll answer questions for about six hours straight. I'll be there Friday morning. Um, And, uh, you know, they say we may be one of the only, you know, contacts that they have. And so we're sort of a, an extension of the staff because the staff for the Boston Athletic Association is very small. Mm -hmm. And so we answer a lot of questions about busing that morning, you know, um, any, any sort of that burning question. We actually answer a lot of questions also for the family because the family tends to be a little bit nervous than the runner. The runner knows what they're going to do. They're going to, you know, they're going to go to the common, they're going to take the bus, the bus is going to get them to Hopkinton and they're going to run 26 miles back. The family, I sometimes want to give them my cell phone number and be like, it's going to be okay. Um, Because they, the questions they ask and, you know, and it's a point to point race. And so, you know, they try to say, well, can I see them on the course? Sure. If you're willing to navigate the train and let, you know, let me tell you exactly how to do that. But you and, you know, 40,000 other people are trying to do the exact same thing that day on the green line. Um, You know, can I get to the finish line? No, unfortunately, you can't. This is how close you can get. Where's the best place to meet my family? You know, those sort of questions. Um, And so we spend a lot, I spend about six hours answering the same question over and over again. So 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 that sounds like an an endurance event in itself, an exhausting endurance (laughs) event. (laughs) It is. It is. But I have to say, it's so much fun um, because a like I said, most of these runners are coming to Boston for the first time and they're excited and they're nervous. Uh You know, they've either all qualified to run or they've raised a lot of money for charity. And so, you know, Uh I always start with like, you know what, first of all, congratulations to even making it this far. And it's Uh nice because I have, you know, I've run it myself as well. So I have sort of, I know what they're feeling. I know exactly what they're going through. Um, So it's, I can sort of try to calm their nerves. So, and please tell me you don't send all the family members to the exact same spot. Like, I, I can see they'll all going to be standing there. Oh, did you, did Suzanne tell you to be here? Because there's way too many of us here. Like, <laughs> I, well, it's funny because there really is only a few locations that you can get to. And you always say, well, do you have a car? And they're like, no. And you're like, okay. And so I'm like, well, you're going to take the green line to the Woodland Tea Stop. And so I always uh-huh. laugh. I'm like, someday I'm actually going to do this and see how many thousands of people are there. <laughs> or just like give them, put, put it like stamps on the back of their hand and then be like, can I have a show of hands, please? Thank you. Yes, I. all of you are here because of me. I sent you all to the same spot. And it's not just me. It's all the other same volunteers. I listened to, there's about 10 of us that work the shifts at the same time and we all send uh-huh. them the exact same place. It's hysterical. 
This episode is a real standout in my mind. It's episode 161, grandmother runner Catherine Byers, the oldest finisher of the 2015 Boston Marathon. Special because she was the oldest finisher among men or women of any people of any gender running the 2015 Boston Marathon. And it was also special because Catherine was in studio down in here in my basement And I was um, firmly wrapped up in my cast, having had my surgery on my ankle. And so it was kind of funny that here I was the one who was hobbled versus this, I believe, 81-year-old woman who had just run Boston. So so really special. This was, uh, 2015 was her 11th time that she'd run Boston. And here she is talking about why she loves Boston. So, so this was your 11th time running Boston? Correct. Mm-hmm. And so what keeps drawing you back to that race? Uh, I have to get 10 trophies. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and how, many no. do you, how many do you have right now? I have nine. I haven't oh. received the nine. But, uh, you know, I have 10 grandkids. Oh. Boston, Boston is the, the biggie marathon. I mean, it really is. I, I love going to Boston. I'd never been to Boston before. Oh. And it was so wonderful. And people are so nice and such a historic town, which I enjoy. And mm-hmm. uh, so, and my son also runs, and that makes a big difference. He yeah. runs Boston every Oh, he year. does. Oh, okay. So, you know, we get the same magazine. We, you know, share a hotel room. And uh-huh. it's pretty special for me to have him by myself. Sure. Or by himself. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, for four or five days. Yeah, oh, nice. Very nice, yeah. Sometimes one of his kids come or some of my grandkids come. Uh-huh. But anyway, I think motivating, if he didn't run, I wonder if I would go to Boston. I haven't been tested on that. Oh. But I do have nine trophies, and I've got ten grandkids, and uh, I've got to get one more. I, oh, I love I wish I was one of your grandkids. I would love that as a hand-me-down. <laughs> we were talking about they're really episode. beautiful. Oh, I'm sure they are. Yeah, That's they're great. quite spectacular trophies. Yeah, yeah. they are. This final clip comes from, again, from episode 307, Boston Marathon 2018. It was a good episode because I had to include two clips from it. And this is Tish um, talking about her favorite Boston Marathon memory and me talking about um, what makes that uh, standout memory in my mind, um, the throng of spectators, the energy. Tish talks about the um, early days of Boston before there was chip timing. I mean, let that one sink in for a moment. Think about it. And, um, and then it is, I talk about seeing, um, the Hoyt duo, the father son on the Newton Hills. And that is certainly one of my most special memories from any of the 14 marathons I've run. So here is Tish and I. So what is, what is kind of your favorite Boston marathon memory, Tish? My favorite Boston Marathon memory. Holy crow. Um, <laughs> Buy yourself some time and repeat the question. <laughs> I have no idea. What's your favorite Boston Marathon memory? Go uh, running down Boylston Street the first time. It just, I mean, that's the finish shoot, so to speak. It's the, I don't know, what what do you think that is? A tenth of a mile down Boylston Street, maybe? Oh, it's longer. It's, it's you pass the 26 mile mark while you're on Boylston. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. And just, I mean, the, just the throngs of spectators and the the noise and the energy and the, oh my goodness, that you know, and, and you can't see it before you get there because you've turned. 
uh, made that, you know, kind of last zig and then zag. And oh my goodness, I just was elated and just, it was, it had been so hot that year. And I just, you know, took my energy and, and you know, windmilled my arms to whip up the crowd. And, you know, I mean, it felt like the, people were like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll cheer, you know, we've been cheering for a while, but we'll cheer for this crazy lady. <laughs> yes. That's so fun. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've run it, I have run it, um, been in it 13 times but it's been over a long period of years Mm -hmm. my so my first boston was in uh 93 uh i know it's like 100 years ago i'm (laughs) dating myself um (laughs) you were a mere child back then Mm -hmm. yeah yeah right (laughs) it's amazing they let a seven-year-old in um um, uh so and and i've run in all kinds of conditions although not not pouring rain sorry guys Uh um and and never, never very cold. But uh, you know, over the years, I've run with different friends and um, in different uh, stages of fitness, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and in the first few years, if you can believe this, it was before um, before chip timing. Oh boy! Uh, yeah, and they had one mass start at noon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I was someone who always, you know, just barely qualified, I was always in the way, way, way back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it took a good long while to get across the start line. Yeah. And you just, your time was your time, you know, <laughs> it was just a, it, it was a gun time. It wasn't a chip time. Yeah. So if it took you 10 or 15 minutes to get over the start line, oh, well. <laughs> One other memory that jumps out for me was in that same the uh, 2012 one. Um, I'm completely blanking on the names of um, the father son who he um, pushes his son his adult. Yeah. Um, what is Hoyts? Hoyts. Thank you, Hoyt. Team Hoyt. Yes. And so I was um, maybe on the second Newton Hill, and uh, yeah. maybe even the th- I don't know. It might have been heartbreak, and I saw them right at the at the base, and I ended up passing them because I was not pushing a, um, adult in a, um, you know, specially modified, um, stroller. (laughs) Um, and oh my gosh. And the crowd just went crazy for it. And I just burst into tears. I mean, it was so moving to see him and to see the two of them. And oh, the dedication between that father and son is just a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Yeah, and you know, um, you, you were able to pass him then, but for many, many years, he was running um, marathons in the three-hour oh, range. Oh, I know, yeah. Uh, which is just astonishing. Oh, I know, cause, because Boston made him qualify. He didn't get any special pass. Um, right, So yeah. that's right. I mean, oh my goodness. So um, yeah, so that was, that was really um, a standout memory, so. All right. Well, um, it's okay if we shed a few tears, feel sad that the Boston Marathon is not happening on uh, April 19 this year, Patriots Day, but let's um, all join together in wishing that it really does run in person on Monday, October 11 of this year. And so um, let's um, all send, put positive energy out into the world and hopefully that will happen today's episode was recorded here in portland oregon and was produced by alex ward from sounds like pictures many happy miles